Happy 420! Welcome to Stone Cold Murder. We are your hosts, Kai and B. Thanks for tuning in for Season 1, Episode 2. Just a PSA, if you are listening and have any information that you would like to share to help solve a crime, please go to www.crimestoppers.com. Right, I'd like to introduce our guest today. The one, the only, Queen Reaper is on the pod today. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to sit down with us today. Appreciate it. Of course, thank you for having me. Of course. Queen Reaper streams on Twitch and does cosplay, and she's just an overall badass. So you guys should definitely go give her a follow on TikTok and Instagram and Twitch. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for being on here. All right, so before we get started, are you high? <laughs> yes. Okay. On a scale of 1 to 10, how high are you? I'm on a, like, 7. All right, perfect. I was going to say anything lower than a 6, <clears throat> you have to keep smoking. Well, even if I'm above 6, can I keep smoking? Absolutely. Perfect. Always. <laughs> That's why you're the queen weaver. Let's go. Let's go, baby. I also want to give oh. a shout-out that we got... Matt in the booth. <laughs> Matt in the booth. What up? Our producer here. You might you might hear a little something from him from time to time. Yeah, he's gonna chime in here and there. Yep. All right. Have you guys ever heard of the boy in the box? Um, Jack in the box, but not the boy in the box. <laughs> Very different. Definitely. Let me tell yeah. you. This is not. This is not no Jack in the box. This is not it? the kind of surprise that you would wanna come upon. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Definitely not. All right. So our story starts out on a cold night in February, February 25th, 1957, in rural Philadelphia, in Susquehanna Road. I hope I said that right. I tried to say it over and over. Yeah, I have a hard time with that. But it's really... Susquehanna. Susquehanna. Yes, Susquehanna Road. Frederick, a boy named Frederick, 26, he was driving down the stretch of road, when he decided to chase like a rabbit into the bush. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said too. <laughs> wasn't he hunting? Yeah, later on, it, he does say that he like was illegally putting up muskrat traps. So I think that's kind of why he did the whole rabbit cave thing. He was 26. 26, yes. Mm. Okay, um, but that, that seems odd. Like out of <laughs> all things to hunt, a rabbit? He's odd. Yeah. That would give you, like, one meal worth of meat. <laughs> well, I think the thing that's weird, too, is that he stopped his car to chase her. In a bush. Yeah, that, that part's odd to me. I love that Queen Reaper is, like, suspicious. Yeah. Suspicious. Red flags, for sure. Red flags. So, Frederick stumbled upon a large cardboard box. That box contained the battered, malnourished body of a young boy. Frederick finds the body and he just like freaks out and he decides to go back home and like sleep it off instead of like, calling the cops. Okay. Sleep after. <laughs> I don't know. How That's to sleep. my initial thought. Yeah. Like how can you see a dead body, right? Mm-hmm. In the middle of the night and just be like, no, I'm good, I'm asleep. Like I can't yeah. sleep normally. <laughs> let alone stumbling across a body nice. and being like, alright, time to go to bed. <laughs> to go to bed cool. Now. You know what? This makes me sleepy. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to go take a nap. I want to just go sleep it out. Mm-hmm. 
I, I don't know why he did, but that's so, what he decided to do. Red flag number two. Got red it. flag number two. He didn't want to call the police right away uh, because he thought he would get in trouble. And there was a school right down the street where this body was found. Uh, it was called the Good Shepherd Home for Wayward Girls. It was close to where the body was located, and he thought he would get in trouble because sometimes he goes and spies on the girls at the school. Um, so that was the reason he said he didn't immediately go to the police after finding the box. And then, like I said, he had been setting up these illegal muskrat traps. So when he was checking those, he unfortunately stumbled upon that body. Wow. Is it not illegal just to spy on girls at a school anyways? Like, when he brings that up, yeah. does he not get Think in that he's gonna, yeah. Although That's what's this weird. Is it's like 50s. sometimes, yeah. They just Wait, are, when is this? The like, 50s. Yeah. Yeah, they're just kind of like, like that. boys won't be boys. Boys won't be boys, won't they? <laughs> won't they? Won't they? They're just curious. They're, they have curious minds. They're just peculiar. And maybe if you don't want to be spied on, you shouldn't stand by the window. You shouldn't dress like that now, should ya? I think that is kind of how it works. Yeah. That's that's our explanation. Were you wearing a corset when he was looking in the window? <laughs> Why well, yeah, they can show it? <laughs> you are you showing a little elbow? Don't show the elbow. You're not asking for it at that point. Your neck was out. All right, so Frederick did end up going to the police the next day after he um, was talking to his parents, and they were like, "You should definitely go to the police with this information." Hmm. <laughs> yeah, so he did. There had been a recent kidnapping in that area, and Frederick was kind of worried that the body that he had stumbled upon may be the body of Mary Jane Barker, who was missing at the time. So after he made the report, police responded to the wooded area of Sasquahana Road, where they found the naked body of a child believed to be aged four to six. He was found stuffed in to a J.C. Penney's box, that was originally used for a crib or like a bassinet. So really mm. sad. Yeah. Yeah, not something you stumbled on. No, absolutely not. No. And something that you should have definitely taken to the cops immediately. So one of the first officers on this scene was Officer Elmer Palmer. He reported that it was a tough sight to see. Quote, it was something that you don't forget. It bothers everybody. And I'm coming from a cop that probably sees <coughs> a, lot. a lot of stuff. Like, that had to be really gruesome for him to say it's, like, that bad. Yeah. And as we get into it, too, you'll see it's, it's pretty tragic mm-hmm. how this boy was left. <clears throat> I'm going to uh, go into what they found in the autopsy a little bit. So it was thought that the boy had been beaten to death. The cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. But they couldn't rule out that his death could be caused by like pressure placed on the boy's head mm. so they couldn't really like figure out if it was like a hit or squeezing he had been dead between like three days to two weeks from when the body was discovered and it was hard to determine because of how cold it was when the body was found mm. so it kind of like slowed the decomp mm. process mm-hmm. he was thought to be between four to six years old having brown hair blue eyes His face was covered in bruises and found naked, wrapped in a blanket. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
The boy's body was said to be extremely malnourished and a small and small in stature, weighing only about thirty pounds. That's wow. so small for that age. Yes. Oh Very goodness. small. My dog weighs more than that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's really sad. That is. Poor baby. I know. It's horrible. Um, the boy's hair had been like buzzed or chopped off. They think it's like to help hide his identity at the time. But they, it was said that his hair was like patchy mm-hmm. in spots. So it was like buzzed in spots. It was long Maybe in other from, spots. Like, attacking him, like pulling his hair or something. Yeah, but he had like really like long spots. But like, like pulling the hair, yeah, and, like yeah, yeah. Long yeah. spots. Yeah, maybe? yeah, yeah. Just like kind of crazy and all over the place, yeah. you know, and it wasn't, like, yeah. a haircut, basically. Yeah. It was, like, a botched haircut yeah. <laughs> at best, you know? Done really, yeah, not well. Right. He had multiple healed scars on his body, on his ankles, his feet, and, like, groin area. Um, they said they were, like, surgical in nature. Oh. So I'm not really sure if that meant that he had been hurt and then taken to the doctor, and it was, like, a surgery thing. Kind of interesting places <laughs> to have. Yeah. Surgical scars, too. I agree. Peculiar. He had an L-shaped scar on his chin, and they found a brown substance in his esophagus. Both feet and the boy's right hand were pruny. Like he had just been in water, you know, like if you take a long bath, how your fingers and toes look, like pruny. That's how his fingers and toes looked. So they thought maybe indicating that he had been in water shortly before or after the time of his death. I was going to just say, he, like, I'm guessing that kind of freezes what your body does with... Because, like, if your hands get pruny when you take a bath, yeah, it goes away after a while. But I didn't think about if, you're, if you die immediately afterwards, mm-hmm. your body isn't going to go back to looking normal. Right. So, so and like it was frozen. Too. Yeah. And it was cold there out there too at the time. Yeah. So, so like freezes you in right. time basically. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good in this case. Like sometimes it's like the opposite where it'll be the heat and it like speeds up the process. Mm-hmm. So then you can't tell. There's not evidence there yeah. at that point. Yeah. I guess kind of luckily they were able to like get so much. Yeah. When absolutely. they found the body. He also had his uh, fingernails recently cut when they found him. Now I'll go into some of the evidence found at the time uh, when the boy's body was found. Um, They found a man's blue corduroy hat, a scarf, a blanket, the JCPenney's bassinet box, a handkerchief with the initial G, and all those were located near the boy's body. Hmm. That's very interesting. You'd think, like, as as a killer, like, why would you leave... Things like that behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like a remembrance. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of like DNA back then. At like that. the 50s, yeah. So <laughs> a lot of that wasn't yeah. Yeah, around. That makes sense. Yeah, so they probably just were like, they can't find me. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. That's what I would assume, but I still wouldn't leave my stuff around if that were me. <laughs> No, there's like some of these like killers too that like like to play those little games too with mm-hmm. cops of yeah. like they like the chase yeah they like being chased and like yeah. almost letting them catch them but like yeah. not enough to yeah. actually like confirm it it's teasing them a little bit yeah 
It's because a lot of killers are narcissistic, too. So they think that they're smarter than other people mm-hmm. and that they will not get caught. Mm-hmm. So that's a big part of reality, you know? The police looked into the bassinet to see if it would help with any leads. The baby bassinet was from J.C. Penney's, was one of 12 sold between oh. December 3rd, uh, 1956, and February 16th, 1957. So 12 sold in like a year, basically. Okay, so yeah. that gives them a good like starting point. Absolutely. To start gathering like people on their list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not very many. So from a store in Upper Derby, Pennsylvania is where it was sold. The store kept no record of individual sales. But the officers were able to track down 11 of the 12 documents. 11 what? of the 12. <laughs> um, but nothing came from there. And they were never able to locate that last one. Which is wild. But they could locate 11. Yeah. Especially back then with no computers or records or anything yeah. like that. No, you know exactly. what I mean? They didn't have a record of exactly who bought them. Yeah. It's That's weird. Interesting. And the FBI agents got fingerprints, but none of them were usable. Wow. Police also looked into the blue hat found near the body. A label inside the blue cap led police to Robin's Eagle Hat and Cap Company in Philadelphia. The owner said it was one of 12. Another 12 <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Isn't that weird? The 12. <laughs> yeah. Strange, I know. And it had been made from a corduroy remnants from a time before May 56. She recalls the particular hat because it had been made with made without a leather strap, but a blonde man in his late twenties had returned a few months after purchasing to have the strap like sewn in the hat. So it was like very recognizable, especially since only twelve of them were made. Uh, she also told detectives that her customers resembled the photographs that she was shown of the boy in the box, but she had no record of his name or that. Now, they also looked into the blanket found wrapped around the boy. The blanket was proved to be just as frustrating to try and track down. It was made from cheap cotton flannel and had been recently washed and mended using, like, poor cotton-grade thread. It had been cut into separate, unequal pieces and then wrapped around the naked boy. Analysts in Philadelphia Textile Institute determined that it had been manufactured either in North Carolina or Grand Bay, Quebec. But thousands of these have been produced. And police were never able to figure out, like, a likely place where it had been sold. So it sounds like they have a whole lot of... <laughs> it, it's, it sucks because they're, like, so close. Like, they have, yeah. like, bits of information that they need. They just can't. So I just want to point out, talking about this with all the things that the police were researching and, like, really following up on, I guess, leads and checking all the evidence. I feel like they... I don't want to say above and beyond because this should be protocol, but it's like so refreshing, especially for a case this old to hear from the get-go. They took it seriously. They were doing the research, trying to figure it out because the case last week. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Like, and that was the nineties. Like they should have known better. And they walked all over evidence. Evidence was moved. Things got messed up. It seems like these police were really invested and trying to figure out who it was and just not wanting anything to get messed up. So 
I just wanted to point that out because it's so easy to point out when everything goes wrong. Sometimes we want to be like, hey, thank you for doing the right thing. Thanks, Philadelphia police. Yes. We appreciate you going hard on it. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) The Philadelphia police uh, circulated more than 10,000 flyers with the child's photo on them to different police departments throughout eastern Pennsylvania and southern New Jersey, but no results. The Philadelphia Gas uh, Works mailed out 200,000 flyers with each customer's monthly bill. The Philadelphia Electric Company, grocery stores, insurance agents, and pharmacists all helped pass out flyers. So, did you hear, or when you were researching this, when I was Mm -hmm. researching this, I read, I don't know if maybe you mentioned this, they tried in these flyers to make it seem like he was still alive. Oh, that's terrifying. That the boy... Yes. Oh, I hate so, that. so this is kind of I don't know who did this, so yeah. I don't want to pinpoint it on someone, yeah. but yeah. um because I don't want this to overshadow the good things about how they did all this, but yeah, they like propped him up to try to make him look alive. Ooh, I for, hate all that. For what reason? Interesting. I think they were hoping people would come forward, like the parents maybe, if they made it look like he was alive. Okay. I don't know, it's very interesting. Um, oh, I thought that was a really interesting tidbit. I like made notes. I was like, I want to bring that up because it's just such an odd thing. And I don't know if you've ever looked at pictures of like mm-hmm. back in the day, people would have portraits made of their children or deceased. loved ones yeah. that were deceased. Very eerie. And just, I, I don't know. tell usually. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, doesn't look quite like themselves. I mean, two hundred thousand flyers, like it's a lot. Yeah, and they're putting them with bills and stuff. Yes, things that are gonna be noticed. Yeah, Yeah. they could have easily just been like, eh, whatever. You know, three hundred thousand flyers and all were passed out with no results. So unfortunate. I know. Five months after the boy's body was found, the authorities buried him in Philadelphia's Potter's Field Cemetery. It's near Philadelphia State Hospital at Burberry. The um, Belregard detectives who worked the case collected enough money to buy the the only headstone that was in the whole cemetery. And it was for the boy. It read, Heavenly Father, bless the unknown boy. Oh my goodness. And they they collected enough money to buy it, which I thought was really sweet. Like... Again, talking about really nice police officers. The case went cold until about November 4th, 1998, when the boy in the box was exhumed in order to extract DNA samples. They collected it in hopes for future comparison with any uh, suspected relatives. They had not been able to obtain a satisfactory DNA profile from the boy's remains. Another attempt was made in 2000, this time from the boy's teeth. But this attempt also failed. Then another attempt was reported as successful in April 2001. So just a year later? Yes. Wow. That was not expected to find any match, though. He was reburied at Ivy Hill Cemetery instead of the Potter's Field he was originally buried at. A new headstone was made for him that reads, America's Unknown Child. Oh. So I guess the only question I have is, like, his parents aren't in any of this so far. Nobody has like no one knows. So nobody he was just a John Doe. at all. So there was no reports of 
oh, young boy missing or anything. No. And they, I know that there was like, they tried going through records to find young boys that had been born in that time frame. They thought he could have been born in nothing. nothing. But also think about that time. There were people, um, and this was actually, this especially common with immigrant families that unfortunately they went undocumented. So like a child could have been born at home. Nobody would have any idea. He wouldn't know he existed. Probably didn't have a social security. None of that. So like this kid could have completely just gone on under the radar his whole life. Yeah. You know? He would never know. Yeah. Yeah. Really unfortunate. Yeah, that's really yeah. sad. No parents ever came forward. Using DNA obtained during a second assumption of his body in 2019, uh, investigators wow. have traced the child to a predominant family in Delaware County, but nothing else has been released. His case is so far the oldest unsolved murder in Philadelphia Police Department history. Wow. Now we're going to get into some theories. Let's start with number one. Number one, we got a foster home. There was a foster home that was located a little more than a mile from the vacant lot where the boy's body was found. Um, in 1960, Remington Bestow, he was an employee of a medical examiner office who uh, presumed the case until his death in 1993. So he pursued this case his whole life. He just like basically dedicated his life mission to this case. Wow. He contacted a New Jersey psychic. So I love me a good psychic, but I don't like them in murder cases. You know, we seem to come up and just gum up things and make people think things that are not there. Well, how many times has somebody pretended to be a psychic and they weren't? I can't, yeah. Not to mention it could, like, drive the case into a wrong, yeah, steer it into a wrong way. Absolutely. Yeah. With, yeah. like, things that aren't actually there or, like, misleading information. Yeah. Not my favorite way about going about it, but this is what he did. He was trying <laughs> every outlet. Trying everything he could. Yeah. Uh, the psychic told him he, to look in a house that seemed to, like, match a foster home. Which is very big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the psychic was brought to the city, she led mm-hmm. Bestow straight to the house. So, um, some random house. That it actually was a foster house. Hmm. So I don't know if she actually did it in her or had insight. Like psychic abilities or she had like insight, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so I was like, go here. <laughs> <laughs> it's here. It was the thumb. Go here. <laughs> so after she led Bestow to this house, he like refused to let this theory go. Because he just was like, She led me to the foster house, like it's be real and he he went into it investigating the case for years on his own he eventually attended an estate sale at this foster home and i want to know like when did she do you know what like what time what year was it that she took him there like was those years later see. yeah okay i didn't Sorry. see what it's i didn't yeah. like see a date so yeah not sure yeah but yeah. some of that's kind of vague yes yeah. It gets, like, lost in translation sometimes, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, but he eventually a- attended an estate sale at the foster home, and he discovered a bassinet at the home similar to the one that was sold at JCPenney. Oh, interesting. Very. 
He also sold, uh, saw blankets hanging in the clothesline similar to the one that the boy's body had been wrapped in. What? He believed that the child belonged to the stepdaughter of the man who ran the foster home. He believed that the stepfather was involved in like a sexual relationship with the girl oh. and had gotten her pregnant. And that the boy was hidden away and accidentally died. And the man disposed of the boy so that the girl would not have to be, like, embarrassed of having the baby. You know, that was, like, a big deal at the time. Wow. That was, like, his theory. Despite the circumstantial evidence, the police were unable to find any real links between the family and the boy in the box. In 1998, Philadelphia Police Lieutenant Tom Augustine remains in charge of the investigation, and several members of the Vidoc Society interviewed the stepfather and daughter, who had gotten married. Hmm. That is, uh, that's an odd choice. Yeah, so they clearly were in a relationship, so he wasn't far off with that theory. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they had gotten married. Uh, The interview seemed to confirm to them that the family was not involved in the case. And after a DNA test ruled out the stepdaughter as the boy's mother, the investigation of the foster home theory was closed. Wow. All right. Theory number two. M. February 2002, a woman identified as M claimed that her abusive mother purchased the unknown boy named Jonathan from his birth parents in the summer of 1954. The boy was subjected to extreme physical and sexual abuse and kept in the basement for two and a half years. What? What? Yes, I know. Horrible. All of that is just like, wait, wait, what? Wait, Um, so a a lady actually came out and said this to be true. She said she... She's claimed. She claimed it to be true, yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was all just her word. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, She said her mother then allegedly killed the boy in a fit of rage when he vomited up his beans that was fed to him for dinner in the bathtub. In the bathtub? Um, I think he, like, threw up in the bathtub. Oh. Well, like, he was eating the rat or something. I think that's what she's saying. Got it. Yeah. The woman then cut the boy's long hair and dumped the body in a secluded vacant lot. M went on to say that they were preparing to remove the boy's body from the trunk. A passing male motorist pulled alongside to inquire whether they needed assistance. They ignored him and eventually drove away. He eventually drove away. The story can be corroborated by a male witness in 1957 who said that he spotted the pair on the side of the road. But then when he pulled over to ask if they needed help, they just ignored him, like, completely. So he eventually was just like, all right, and he just left. So I thought that was pretty interesting. The police considered this story to be quite plausible, but they were troubled by M's testimony because she was believed to have a history of mental illness. Um, when interviewed, though, neighbors who had access to the house denied that there had been any young boy living there and said that M's claims were ridiculous. So, and that, that's the thing, mental illness is such a broad yeah. term. Like, oh, yeah. Like, what were they mean? labeling? Like, they would, a woman who had it, got upset at any point back in the day was considered having 
mental illness. She's got hysteria. Yeah. She's hysteric. <laughs> and not to mention, like, if this story was to be true, I mean, I would have a lot of issues if that's the kind of house and things I witnessed. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I'm sure if he was being put through all that abuse, she probably was too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, this one makes a lot of sense to me because of the brown substance found in his esophagus. Mm-hmm. Like beans, like throwing up beans. That mm-hmm. could be the brown substance that they found. Yeah. He was found with the pruny fingers. So, like, he was in the bathtub before. On his fingers and toes. And the fact that someone saw, like, a woman and child on the side of the road where the body was found, I feel like that's very plausible. So are the police, like, just at this point disregarding what the witness had to say? Yeah, like, nothing really came of that. Like, I don't know if they did, if they knew who this M was, they had to. I would think because they interviewed the neighbors and they said that she had a history of mental illness or whatever. I don't know if they tested the DNA. But it was also thought that they may have been dressing the boy as a little girl and that he had long hair and that's why the neighbors never saw a boy and also maybe the reason for the botched haircut that's interesting so many questions with that and so they just like leave it at that like there's no like ending to any of these theories not much (laughs) not much Let's get through the theory. Yep. <laughs> All right, we got number three, a kidnapping victim. In 1990, or, yeah, 1955, three-year-old Stephen Craig Damien was kidnapped outside of a supermarket. Police explored theories that there were they were the same person, the boy in the box and the kid right. that was kidnapped because of, like, similar descriptions. Mm-hmm. There were a number of key differences that came up when looking into this theory, though, the boy in the box didn't appear to be like struggling with any organ problems, whereas the kid that was kidnapped, Stephen, he was under treatment for kidney growth when he was kidnapped. Investigators also couldn't find Stephen's distinctive fractal that was on the back of the boy's calf, and cops learned that Stephen had broken his arm before his disappearance, while the boy in the box had no fractures. Their footprints also didn't match, and in 2003, when DNA experts were able to test evidence from the two boys, no matches were made. Okay, so it seems like that one, like, is a clear no, but the one above, still, I have questions. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this one, I'm like, okay, it's a done deal, like, there's no evidence. And one you were feeling. DNA, but the the second one, I have questions. How did you feel about number one? That no. one didn't get me quite as number two. Yeah. No, the foster yeah. home. No. no. Number two is still, like, there's questions. Because there was actually a, someone else who came forward and was like, no, I saw this. Like, I can confirm. Yeah. And then they But they just paid it off because she had a history. Yeah. All right, number four. Carnival worker couple. In 1961, Philadelphia investigators questioned Kenneth Dudley and his wife, Irene Dudley, to determine if the boy in the box had been one of the couple's ten children. The entire family would travel up and down the country alongside Kenneth as he would work, normally finding like work at a carnival. The Dudleys came into the attention of the law enforcement 
when one of their children, seven-year-old Carol Ann, died as a result of neglect, malnourishment, and exposure. And instead of burying their young child's body in a cemetery, the couple wrapped their daughter in a blanket and placed her body in a wooded area in Virginia. Later, it emerged that seven of the family's ten children starved to death, and none of them received proper burial. After questioning the Dudleys, watching their movements, the cops determined that the couple were not linked to the boy in the box. Okay, so, but how did they determine that? Like, what? Probably DNA. Years later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so those are my theories. Like I got a little bit more stands out to you. I still feel like number two. It's just there's too many coincidences, too many things that match up with. Yeah, it's yeah, very the story. Cool. Yeah. Oh, what yeah. do you think, Matt? Yeah. How are your feelings? Number two definitely is uh, plausible. Standing out to you a little bit more. For sure. Yeah. I mean, the first one kind of makes sense, but. I feel like you'd be able to link that if it were true mm-hmm. a little easier, especially if it's a foster home. Like they yeah. have to have records of that. Documentation, all that. Yeah. The second one, I think, makes me think that it's possible because of the bean thing. Yeah. You know, with, the, with the uh, brown residue. And then people thinking that they saw a girl. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the pruning fingers, too, because yeah. it was mentioned that mm-hmm. he was in the bath, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That connects. My question, too, would be, like, they saw a little girl over there all the time, and then that little girl disappeared. Wouldn't that be a red flag? Yeah, too? I thought the same thing. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So did they ask them, like, well, did the little girl stay there for long, or was right. she Yeah, just, what what happened to the little, little girl? girl? Like, nobody was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a little girl in there. And somewhere. she's yeah. gone. Now she's, yeah. But maybe they didn't think about asking those questions because they said, well, it was a little girl, and they immediately they dismissed just, it as, yeah. well, that's yeah. not the child we're thinking of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Totally fair. Very weird. However, uh, three and four, I uh-huh. think, figure out. Yeah. yeah. I think three and four are out. Yeah. The carnival workers make sense just because they're so abusive to their They're awful. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, like, and they were not being fed well. What human yeah. beings are you? But, but yeah. at the same time, Ugh. if they say they can't link them to them mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they did DNA on them too. And the fact that they had ten kids and what and was seven, seven, of, seven them of them died, seven of them. Oh, and none no. of them were buried correctly. None of them. And then I just have another question for this story, not related. Yeah. But if they are having seven of their ten kids yeah. starving to death, how did no one notice that? Well, yeah. that's the thing. And this could also be one of those situations where these children were, there wasn't proper documentation with them. Because again, think about carnival workers were not typically American. They were coming from other countries a lot of times. And, and or they were just scum people working at the carnival well, too. Especially well that could be that. But that, that was not uncommon back then for people to escape a third world country, come here and get into the carnival business you but know? but not even like with documentations and stuff but if i saw a kid walking oh, around things were so different with that back then though people were kind of like you don't get in you don't ask yeah you don't ask mm-hmm. you don't really uh-huh. see but why i bring that up with the documentation is it's very um, it's very likely that these children were born in hospitals 
where there's a birth birth certificate or any of that. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. If if the kid either wasn't born in a hospital or was there a a baby that was like stolen, you know, when they were three days old and back in the 50s, they aren't going to report that. They're just going to. Or they don't. Well, we lost the kid. Let's make it. They don't know how to track them down. Yeah. I'm sorry, but when babies are born, they all they all look alike for the most part. Like yeah. it's hard to tell them apart, so that could make it difficult to find them. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Newborns just they have a distinct look, but they yeah. don't. They, they didn't change. have DNA out there. No. Yeah. And their looks change so quickly. Like yeah. yeah. That's it's a hard. very good point. I didn't think about babies being stolen, but that that could have something to do with it. Okay. Now I'm going to take you to December eight. 2022. Yes. yes. Hold on. That yes. was two days ago. It was literally yesterday. This is. Are you ready? Ready. <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, because it's literally yesterday. So Philadelphia Police Department has still been working on this. And like, shout out to the police department because they they wanted this solved. Yeah. They've been they've had amazing people working on this case for a long time. Yeah. Didn't we say this case started in what was it, 1976 or something? No, 1957. 57. 63 years, I think. Yeah. 60 something years. Yeah. 65 years. It was 65. That's what I said. 65. Yeah. Confirmed. 65 years ago, this case was brought to our attention. The Philadelphia Police Department, using DNA evidence collected from the boy, were able to identify America's unknown boy. He has a name. a name. The boy was identified as Joseph Augustus Zarelli. I just can't believe it's been that long. And that was like yesterday. Um, So did you have this case already written up? Yes. I wrote this case last Saturday. And my coworker told me yesterday at work, did you hear that they're going to name the unidentified boy in the box? And I said, what the fuck? (laughs) I literally shit my pants. Because... One, I never, I was researching a completely different case when I stumbled upon this. And it must have been because they were going to identify him that it had popped oh, up. Maybe. But I just didn't, did like, know. I didn't connect any of the dots. Yeah. So when she said that, I was like, oh, no, shit. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. No idea. So, I mean, what were your initial thoughts, like, when you heard that? I thought the end story sounds, like, very plausible, especially... When we go back to theory number two, she says the boy's name is Joseph, or Jonathan. The boy's name is actually Joseph. What? She could have missed her. Fairly close. Yeah. And, you know, we've connected the dots already. We theorized already on that one. That mm-hmm. had always been the one that Jeez. stuck out to me. Yeah. It's the story of the boy in the box. I'm so glad, though, like... Some justice is being served. There's a lot of questions still that need to be answered, but I'm so glad that John Doe has a real name now. Me we too. know who he is. Made me cry. I know. I'm so like, happy. And um, 
like in an interview, they do say that they connected his DNA to other siblings. And they're not releasing the parents' names right now out of respect of the siblings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we don't know if his parents, well, most likely not alive, but... Yeah. Yeah. The parents aren't alive, but the siblings are The siblings are, yeah. What are your guys' final thoughts on that? Any final thoughts? Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of unanswered questions. Really? Yes. Kind of sad. I hope that eventually we can do an update on the pod. I hope so, too. When they get some more developments and everything. Me, too. That was a good way to end it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like so much of a cliffhanger. I know. And just in time for this recording. I know. It's It's crazy. It's so good. Yeah. No, that's really crazy good. that you literally had it planned out for tonight. Yeah, it was meant to be before. Yeah. A little ray of light to yeah. the yeah. terrible, terrible story. Yep. Can you imagine how satisfying that had to be for the people that have been working on this case and those that have retired that like did the footwork and then you know they're yeah. they're still with us that they were able to hear that like well, yes in the interview. From the police department, they do say that the two main police officers that were on the case, they had recently passed just before the finding. So they weren't able to hear it, but I know that they're happy about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Queen Reefer, thank you again for joining us today. Where can we follow you? At Queen Reefer on all socials, Twitch, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Thank you again. Thank you, guys. It was, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me and thank you. It was a pleasure having you here. Absolutely. Yes. Thanks for getting here. Yes, anytime, anytime. <laughs> Until next time, stay high, be safe, and thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Bye.